Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 306, coming to you on Tuesday, March 26. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football and so much more, including the Trojans having a new school president. We're going to talk about that, your listener questions, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia is back. We took a little bit of a week off. Didn't mean to do it, but we did. We're back after a two-week hiatus, but hey, SC was on spring break. I think we can get a week off, even though SC totally had practice last week. Yeah, and SC totally decided to hire a president and have some more fallout from the admission scandal and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Life happens, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're refueled and ready to go with the... New episode of the podcast. Look at the bright side. We have a lot of stuff to get to. I think that's a, go. good, that's a good thing. And you've been just chipping away over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. You've put up recent uh, CarCast episodes, practice CarCast, going over every practice the USC has had. And you will continue to do that for the remaining nine practices that USC has for the rest of spring camp. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can subscribe for as little as five fifty five a month and get all of those bonus episodes. Yeah, practice car cast covering all of the stuff that goes on at practice, people who are standing out, uh, injuries, other weird observations. Also, over the past week, we had uh, the Pro Day car cast too, uh, to look, looking at what USC's NFL hopefuls were doing. And just as an added bonus, a quick snap take on 
the hiring a new of a new president. So we're covering sort of breaking news stuff that happens when it happens, but also mostly I think the best stuff is is the practice car cast, which basically keep you in check with everything that's going on in practice, right? At, first thing I do after practice is record those and get those get those out there. So yeah, check those out. Yeah, become a patron and you can listen to all that stuff and be awesome and we'll love you forever. Patreon.com slash Man of Troy is where you can join the club. But let's get into this episode. We'll start with the news up next. Alicia, let's start with some commitment news. SC got a new commitment over the weekend in the form of four-star wide receiver Joshua Jackson. Committing to USC out of, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, two-time CIF state champion, Narbonne High School, out of Harbor City, California. Uh, He is the 304th overall recruit in the 24 sports uh, composites. He's 28th in California, the 57th overall ranked wide receiver, six foot, 179 pounds. I think it's an important get for USC, if nothing else, for numbers. Uh, when you look at SC, lost Bruce McCoy, Puka Nakua flipped to Washington. You've had a bunch of guys try to transfer. There is a hemorrhage of wide receivers, even though USC has a lot of talent there. You can always keep adding on there, and uh, Joshua Jackson is someone to do that with. Yeah, absolutely. And you consider that Michael Pittman graduates after after this season. Tyler Vons could also go to the NFL if he has a big enough year. Uh, and and the number of, of receivers in their class that have also decided to transfer out. So uh, you do need to be continually replenishing that wide receiver core, especially with all the losses. And he's a guy that's going to, you know, fit the air raid pretty well. He's kind of a, a guy who may, might fit well into that slot position that USC really doesn't have anybody to play at this moment. Granted, you get him next year, uh, potentially, but, you know, a sharp route runner and a guy who's who's already pretty on top of his game, that's, you know, good start. Definitely a good start for SC and continuing to hammer that uh, Narbon pipeline. Yeah, miss, you, you're, uh, you're good old alma mater. You missed out on a couple of Narbon guys for USC in this past recruiting class, so this gets, gets the USC to Narbon fledgling pipeline back on it's track just buttering it all up for jake jake uh, garcia that's what it is <laughs> there you go I, I i was sitting here thinking like man it's been a while since he, since notre dame had a uh a player that was recruited or, or brought into usc so gotta get that pipeline going back up again but your narbon stuff is working out well amir carlisle left sc to go to notre dame <laughs> notre dame high school michael Notre Dame High School. It's the same thing. Sherman Oaks. Go Knights. It's literally the same thing. Uh, anyways, uh, other news to discuss. Not good news, this one. Uh, Talano Hufanga re-injured his collarbone last week. That sounds bad. He had injured his collarbone, broke it, broke his clavicle. That ended his 2018 true freshman season. Someone that I'm expecting to take another huge step forward this fall and really be an anchor for USC on defense. Someone you need, someone you definitely need with all the hemorrhaging that SC has had at safety. Yeah, and this is one of the things where you have to wonder if USC had some better safety depth, would they have had Talano Hufanga out there? I mean, they've had him and Isaiah Palmao and Greg Johnson all in yellow non-contact jerseys for the entirety of spring camp. But would he have been out there in what was technically a, a tackling 
segments if they had somebody else who could fill in like I, I think there's a there's a weird balance between these guys wanting to play and feeling like they're ready to play and also the caution that USC would like to have as far as bringing back guys from injury only when they're absolutely ready to go. Uh, the good thing is that when you break your collarbone or or re-injure your collarbone or do anything like that, it's not, you know, it's not the kind of injury that's going to keep you out for six months. Like you just got to, you know, let it let it heal and take the next couple of months, I, I suppose. Um, but it's, you know, it just puts USC's safety depth into into even greater highlight, I guess, because even with the yellow non-contact jerseys, at least they were able to have Hafanga and Polamau out there building up a little bit of a partnership. Now, I doubt he's going to see any more time this spring. Uh, that isn't official yet, but I, I still I don't see any point in them not shutting him down. And that's just going to make it that much harder to field a safety core. You're going to basically be seeing Isaiah Polamau out there with a walk-on, guaranteed, in first-team reps. Yeah, never good when a safety gets hurt, because they're a safety. You know who really benefits from this? Just because I'm not going to take the the bite of you, of you trying to make a bad pun, you know who really benefits from this is is someone like um, uh, McMillan, who had Jordan to come McMillan, in yeah. Jordan, Jordan McMillan, who had to come in uh, in the Notre Dame game to fill in because USC safety depth was was that bad then, and he was a guy who looked pretty decent in that role. Had a pick, yeah, he had a pick and uh, and and didn't look totally out of place. So I imagine he's going to see a lot more reps. Makes me wonder. Now the problem is USC doesn't have any depth anywhere across the secondary, so it's not like, like again, if things were different, if for instance Dominic Davis was healthy and and be able to practice, then maybe there would be a, a greater incentive to once again move Chase Williams back there to cover at safety. But I get the feeling that they need Chase Williams to be totally learning the nickelback position because I think they're, he's penciled in as the starter there. So that's not even like, they don't even have an option to move somebody to safety unless they wanted to take Britton Allen and move him to safety, which is I think where they see him long-term. But again, if you take Britton Allen out of the corner position, you, you only have Greg Johnson and he's in a yellow non-contact Jersey and you only have Isaac Taylor Stewart and that's it. Yeah. The other thing is it's spring. This is the time for this to happen. Um, it's the time to get every, everybody else reps. And like I mentioned, you know, a couple minutes ago, T- Talano Hufanga is someone who you would assume is like a top three important player on USC's defense right now. Absolutely. He was having a good spring, for the record. He was ha- he had a good fall last year. I th- I, he was really impressive, I thought, as a true freshman. Someone that I'm expecting to really take huge leaps forward and be even better for SC. Potentially like an all-conference type of player at some point when it's all said and done. And so, someone you want to rely on. If you have to shut him down and not necessarily replace him right now, I think is a luxury in spring because there isn't a game coming up in a couple of weeks. You don't have to worry and scramble about making sure that you know someone is ready there. Um, ideally, you would have the depth there, but if you don't, I think it's okay. I think it's okay for right now. Um, if this happened in the fall, obviously that'd be a whole different thing and then you'd want want to move chase williams over or what have you yeah i totally agree i think it's more important to get the players who are learning and and developing and growing to get them in their positions that they see them playing this year get them as 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 settled as possible in those positions 
rather than moving guys around. Even if that means having walk-ons in your secondary, you deal with it. Yeah, and SC's going to have CJ Pollard come back come the fall, and that would be a big coup for USC in terms of depth there too. Someone who has experience and is a veteran in USC's defense under Clancy Pendergast. So that's another body, another body that you can be comfortable about uh, when the time comes. It's just a matter of getting him on the field along with Hufanga uh, as we go closer to fall. Um, In terms of spring camp in general, you wrote a piece on rainofjoy.com that went over the week two observations. Kind of wanted to run that down a little bit with you. Talking talk out. What, what have you seen thus far through spring camp that has your eye open? Yeah, I think the big talking point from week two of spring camp was the tackling. The tackling and the competition for me. So, you know, they, they do live tackling. They did live tackling last spring. So it's not like that's a, a, a big like surprise. But what was really, really encouraging in week two was the nature of the live tackling. It wasn't just doing some live tackling segments. It was having a comp, like a competition period to end the last two full pads practices. On Thursday, they did a two point conversion challenge where each quarterback had three reps at a, at a two point conversion. On Saturday, they ended practice with an overtime simulation where each quarterback had a chance to run an overtime, uh, going up against the, the defense in full, you know, full tackling, like that's where Talano Hafanga got hurt. But the point of it was that these are competitive periods. And, you know, if, if you are a member of the Patreon and you listen to the car cast on Thursday and Saturday, you heard me raving, raving, raving about how great the energy was and how refreshing it was to see USC being competitive and, and putting, putting, an emphasis on the idea of competition and of live play and real what what felt very much like real po- football and the opportunities for all of these players to really stand out. Like you know, I wrote I wrote I've written uh, written a couple times on the on the website now about what Marquis Step did on on Friday. I'm mean, on Saturday in the overtime period where he basically single handedly won the overtime for Matt Fink's offense uh, because he just would not be, t- be taken down. And there was also on Thursday, I thought Isaac Taylor Stewart had a great, I actually had two great days of practice where he was making plays in those live rep kind of moments that are very, very encouraging for someone that USC is going to need to, to be able to be relied upon as a potential starter in 2019. Um, you got, you got to see the defensive front be really solid in run defense on Thursday in live tackling situations. Um, you got to see, you know, guys like um, EA Naoteote just laying people out because he can. It, it, there was a different kind of vibe to practice that I honestly can't remember seeing at any point. Because, you know, I was there for spring camp last year and I can tell you it was never that. Th- th- these were the most, the two most competitive days of USC practice that I have seen that I can remember. Um, I think the mock game. I, I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic Alicia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Honestly, uh, we had some some comments in the Slack Slack channel after the Thursday one from like Dave and OC, basically saying like, you know, Alicia sounds like she's got you know coffee with donuts and you know all sorts of happiness happening. So yeah, I mean, th- I thought it was the most it was the most encouraging week of practice I've seen from USC in a long, long time. And I think if if you are going into this spring camp a little bit skeptical of the changes that USC has promised that they are making, I, for one, have been very, very impressed by the fact that there are visible changes. It's not just that they talked about the changes they were going to make in that week one, which was nice. It was very encouraging to hear them say that. 
But week two was a real a real chance for them to actually start implementing the culture changes that you want to see around practice. So I, I'm extremely encouraged. Do I think that USC's problems are all solved? Obviously not. It's going to take more than one week of good practice and competitive practice to, to do that because, you know, they had a really competitive mock game week to start last season and then they totally went away from all of the concepts that they did in that. So I need to see this carry through. But I got to say, I'm extremely encouraged. All right. I just have to bring some sort of throw, reality here. Throw some cold here. water on this? Yes. A little bit. A little <laughs> bit. First of all, it is. we're recording this on March 25th. Yes. It's March 25th. Yes. Five and a half months away yes. from the first game, which ironically was SC's win total last year, five and seven. Um, I, I get it. I, I think there's a lot of reasons to think that SC will be better this year Um, in a lot of different areas. I'm... Speaking very general, right? Like, I, I think we can say that SC was fortunate and they were lucky in 2017 and they were unlucky in 2018. They lost games they should have won last year. They won games they should have lost the year before. And the truth was probably somewhere in the middle, right? Um, Maybe they should have been eight and four both years. Maybe they should have been seven and five one year, eight and four the next year, whatever it was, right? We, we can talk to, about that until we're blue in the face. E- even still... Aren't you supposed to be at your best during spring? Like, aren't you supposed to be impressing these things? Um, impressing people with how you practice? Aren't you supposed to, you know, do all these things? And I understand. I completely, I, we've talked about it before that if we can't sit here and say SC should do all these things. And then if they, if they do them, then just say, well, yeah, but you're, you're kind of supposed to do that thing. You need to give them some sort of credit for acknowledging that they, there needs to be change here. And I want to give them credit for, you know, making practice more lively and all that kind of stuff. But we've talked about it on Slack and, and other things. I think you can buy into this team being like a 10-win team. And I get it, but I think we really got to slow the roll there a little bit. Just a well, little no. bit. No, see, that, and that's my thing is I... I put a blanket disclaimer on everything I say on spring practice. Spring practice can lie to you very easily because everything is a zero-sum game. This is what I'm always like. We got a question on com on Tuesday night about, you know, I haven't heard anything about the offensive line. How are they doing? And I responded to it going, you know, it's hard to say because everything is a zero-sum game. This time last year, we were looking at that defensive line the edge rushers, and it was like, wow, everything's really encouraging. USC's pass rush is going to be really good. And USC's pass rush was crap. Like, it was bad in 2018, and it was a huge problem. And, like, that's because partially because that defensive line was going up against an offensive line that turned out to be very questionable to begin with in 2018 as well. And it was an offensive line that we assumed was going to be pretty good because there were three seniors on it and, you know, people with reasonable amounts of talent and just didn't come together. So... Spring camp can be a total, complete illusion. Like, you have to go into it accepting that everything about the spring is a potential illusion because the guys who are succeeding are potentially succeeding because of the deficiencies of their teammates. Um, the, the, the guys who, who are showing out are maybe just showing out because there's no one else there to, to compete. For instance, I look at it and say, well, man, Britton Allen is looking pretty impressive. But, like, who else is there? There's no one else there to be impressive. Like, Britton Allen is literally, like, there, there are only two corners that, Isaac Taylor Stewart, he's the only guy out there. So every good play he makes, he's the only one that could possibly be making that good play. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have a big, big, big season. 
now it could be that these things are true that that maybe they are on the on the way to the big season but you have to take everything with a grain of salt so we accept that but like you said i think the important thing here is we spent three months complaining and moaning and complaining and moaning about how usc wasn't doing the right three thing. months Not the, well three months since the season ended but even before that yes yeah, six months let's call it a year two years complaining about what the things that usc was doing wrong and the things that usc needed to do you and i have had multiple podcasts where we have suggested changes that usc could make in order to fix things we we talked about it with ryan abraham we talked about it on a patreon show all of these things and so for me, it's about giving USC the credit that they deserve because we spent so much time trashing them for doing things wrong. You got to sit that sit back and go, you know what? Yes, this week of practice is what USC should have a week of practices. Now, what I would like to do is have this week of practice feel like the norm and not the exception. And that's right. the next step. But you got to start somewhere. You got to take that first step somewhere. And, and if right, this is a first sure. step, then that's a really good thing. But again, this and this goes back to everything I say when it comes to the Notre Dame comparison. When USC started throwing out the Notre Dame stuff, I said, okay, fine, do the Notre Dame thing, but I'm now going to hold you to a Notre Dame standard. So I've seen this week of practice. Now, guess what, USC? I'm going to hold you to the standard of this week of practice for the rest of spring camp. You can't let up. You can't not end practice with these competitive with these competitive um, uh, periods. And you have to keep live tackling you have to stay in full pads and you got to keep live tackling and i'll keep giving you credit but the moment they take their foot off the gas i'm gonna be right there and saying you know what you took your foot off the gas and this is a bad sign and this is now making me worried about what the direction of this program is going into the into the 2019 season it's just about sort of finding both sides yeah and it shouldn't just be the first step it should be the marquee step um (laughs) oh so many step so many step puns to make this week michael High stepping into the end zone, yeah. But the, the, <laughs> the point here is two things can be true. I think we can we can sit here, we can give SC credit for um, for making some change and showing some life, right? Like, absolutely giving them credit for that, right? Giving them credit is not buying into the season, and them showing life here is not proving it on the football field when games matter. Those things are completely different, and SC still needs to do that come September. Um, But yeah, a lot of reasons to feel good about this team, whether it be Drake Jackson or Devin Williams or Hufanga when he was healthy, all this stuff. Um, There are reasons to feel good about this team because this team is really talented. Like, again, we've known this forever and we can sit here and say, you know, Utah is the favorite in the South, which I think they undoubtedly are. But at the same point, I mean, if SC takes care of their own business, there's no reason why SC can't win the South too. It's just a matter of, you know, doing it. Show that you can do it. Um, play up to your level. Play to the ability that uh, that you should get there. But moving on, uh, let's talk about USC, who has a new president. We will talk about Carol Fultz coming up next. All right, Alicia, we talk a lot about how SC is insular, and there's no school that loves USC more than USC loves USC, if that makes sense. Um, The Lakers are the same way. The Kings are the same way. It's very much a SoCal thing. Um, It's not just SC. Pat Hayden got the job at USC because he was the national championship quarterback. 
Lynn Swan got the athletic director job at USC because he was a national championship wide receiver. Mike Garrett got the job at USC because he was a Heisman winner. These are things that USC does. All these things. You've heard these arguments over a million times over. So what if I told you that SC went outside the box and unlike Max DeKeyes, who was already on USC's staff before he became the president in 2010 to replace Stephen Stample, SC goes outside and brings in Carol Folt, who was previously the chancellor at UNC, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, to replace Max Nikias as USC's president. And then what if I also asked you, when was the last time USC hired a president that had no USC connections? What would you say? A long time ago would be my guess. <laughs> what if I told you that that's not true? No, is it not true? So Carol Folt is going to be the 12th president at USC, which is weird to think about, right? That there's 12? only been 12? Yeah. There's only been 12 since 1880. Bovard was the president in 1880. That's and there's crazy. only been 12. Like, that's that's weird. Anyways, Nikias, promoted from within. Sample, outside guy. Zumberg, outside guy. Hubbard, outside guy. Oh, so uh, I'm thinking ADs then. Because <laughs> they certainly so have I was that looking ADs. it up. Like, <laughs> USC's presidents are the one position where they actually go outside and they actually hire somebody. It's really interesting. Until Nikias. And we see how Until that Nikias. turned out. Yeah, for sure. SC goes out of the box. They get Carol Folt, who was the chancellor at UNC. She had been since 2013. Kind of an interesting story behind her. She leaves North Carolina. She resigned in January uh, as a result of a Confederate statue scandal, um, which is interesting because she's someone who fought for what she believed in. It just wasn't what the board of trustees wanted her to believe in, and she made some enemies on that side of things. But she was beloved by the students and the faculty, so that kind of feels like a good thing um, in that sense, right? A well, and then I wonder, I wonder if it was just sort of a, a cultural difference almost. Like she went to UC Santa Barbara, she got her, what is it, her, her master's at UC Irvine. Um, so she's kind of like a California girl. Uh, who was at, what, Dartmouth, and then ends up yep. taking over as the president of, of UNC. And it sounds like she just, like, culturally didn't vibe with the board of, of the board of governors, I think, is technically their their board. And, um, you know, that maybe maybe she's more suited to, you know, Southern California, to, to California sensibilities. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the thing. But like you said, I, I think... USC Psycho actually made one of the better points of the, when when the hire first came out, which was that he was saying, like, I've now seen a lot of comments about Carol Fultz, and I haven't heard one single bad thing about her. No, the only bad thing UNC. about her um, on the surface is that she is tied to the NCAA academic scandal, but she's really not. She's tied to the, the NCAA scandal like Pat Hayden is tied to USC sanctions. Pat Hayden is not the reason wasn't there when USC got the sanctions for Reggie Bush. Pat Hayden's job was to defend USC during that period. Whether or not you want to believe that he did his job is a whole side point, but he was the one who fought the thing, right? Well, Carol Folt was in office at UNC during their reconstruction from that and during their, you know, appeals with the NCAA and all that kind of stuff, but she wasn't directly responsible for that, which is a good thing in the sense of she has experience in picking up trash. And yeah. for for SC, that is a big deal. Very um, necessary I, experience. Completely necessary. Uh, let's get to the statement that she put out. 
quote, USC is a world-class global research university, and I'm deeply grateful to the USC community and its leaders for giving me the privilege of serving as its president. The lifeblood of every great university is its faculty, students, staff, and alumni, and I'm so looking forward to meeting with you and learning more about you. The opportunities and potential I see for USC are extraordinary. Of course, I'm also aware that our community is deeply troubled by a number of immediate challenges. I assure you that we will meet these challenges together, directly, decisively, and with honesty and candor. This is a moment of responsibility and opportunity, and we will seize them both. Alicia, I, I never read everything, you know, that Nikias put out or whatnot, but I feel like there was more good substance in that two paragraphs that she said, her first two paragraphs essentially on the job, even though she doesn't get, you know, obviously uh, doesn't completely take over until July 1st, but then anything that I've heard from Nikias, from, you know, Dr. Austin, that from anything from the university in recent memory. Yeah, well, I mean, I... I'm sympathetic to to Dr. Austin because she's in a impossible situation as interim, but 100%, the, the statement, yeah. the, but the statement that she put out after the admission scandal came out was laughable. So, yeah, um, I, like you, I don't, I can't even remember a single thing that Max Nikias said uh, in an official capacity. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's it. She's she said the right thing. You you would hope that at the very least, the president that you install could say the right thing. But she could have stopped at the end of the first paragraph. Yeah. Like she did not have to have the second paragraph of I'm aware of the 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 challenges and blah blah blah. She did not have to put that. She just the first paragraph was saying the right things. Right, right. But at the the same time paragraph is there, I think is pivotal because SC needed to show that whoever they hired has the wherewithal of what's ahead of them, A and B, has the ability to actually treat these things um, and at least show and give the confidence that she will do that. These are all words. This is like everything we've said about Helton before, um, especially this spring. These are things, Clay Helton's saying good things right now, but we need to actually see them to believe them. This is the same thing with Carol Fultz. She's going to need to prove that she can fix this stuff before she does it, but that she's going out of her way to address these issues in the way that she did, I think is a positive sign. Well, I think it's a positive sign for her. I think it's a part of positive sign for the people who made this hire, made this appointment, a bit of self-awareness from USC's perspective of, yeah, USC went out and hired a, a president who has experience in crisis mode, who has experience in cleanup mode. And that in and of itself is is a touch of self-awareness that I needed to see from USC, uh, as opposed to just hiring random Joe Schmo who had worked at USC before or whatever it is. Like, I, I like that they're just by hiring Carol Fult, there's a explicit acknowledgement of we need somebody to come in and deal with these issues. For sure. For sure. Let's get to a call we got from Cameron. Hey, Troy Radio. It's Cameron from Provo, Utah. I just heard the big news that we finally got a new president for the university, Carol L. Fultz. Um, I'm really excited that we finally have a president now. It's been way too long that this finally happened. Um, I just want to know uh, your guys' opinion. How should we feel as USC Trojan fans and as um, alumni as well if 
how should we feel about her? Should we feel a sense of optimistic Alicia? Should we feel a sense of pessimistic Alicia with this new um, president? I know some of her background that she was the president at North Carolina, and she did deal with some of the problems that were going on at North Carolina. I just want to know your opinion, if we should be optimistic with the future with this new president of the university and what actions can be taken for this, especially after these big scandals that just happened a week ago. Just thanks and fight on, and in the future, let's beat the Bulldogs. Thanks for the call, as always, Cameron. I don't think that you can sit here and be overly pessimistic about her. I think you can be pessimistic about USC as a university, absolutely. Um, SC is not given, as a collective unit, has not given enough evidence to prove that they're worthy of optimism. Carol Foltz, on the other hand, I think deserves the massive benefit of the doubt to start. And I don't think that there's a reason to sit here and be like, eh, this is a bad hire. Because, I mean, how many times have I ever said it, right? You judge a hire in the moment and then how it pans out. In the moment, pretty solid. Someone who has experience, A. Someone who has experience at an elite university, by the way. Uh, UNC, pretty damn high on all those rankings. So it's not like they hired the, you know, the the chancellor from Dominguez Hills or something like that. <laughs> UNC is legit. And she comes with experience of having to deal with crap, having to deal with scandals, and having to deal with a board that might not agree with her. And I guess the only thing to say that, that is is that while she left on kind of rough terms, but again, like she left on rough terms for standing for what she believed in, in what was a, an ethical good thing in taking down a Confederate statue. Like it's not like she, it's not like she left because she wanted to keep the statue up. And it's not like she left because there was some sort of grave mis misdoing or, or something like that where she was forced out because she presided over, you know, some some terrible scandal or whatever. It was it was a difficult situation and she did what she felt like she needed to do and the board of governors did what they felt like they needed to do and both sides you know are are moving on. Um I I I think I'm definitely looking at this from an optimistic Alicia perspective just because I couldn't live with myself if I had to approach everything from a fresh slate of everything is crap. Like if you if you are coming at Carol Folt with a this is terrible and she's gonna fail, then like what even is the point of of following any of this? Because then you're just always gonna be miserable. You're always gonna make yourself miserable. It you owe it to USC. I think you owe it to Carol Folt to see what she does. She and and it's not like she was perfect at UNC either. There was some. There's a good article um, from like the Statesman Review or, or whatever where it talked about you know there were people who wanted her to have more of a backbone. There were people who wanted her to go fight the bullies that they felt like were in the board of governors who were trying to push her around. There were people who felt like she maybe capitulated a little bit too much to the the politics that were going on inside UNC. There were people who thought that. That maybe she she wasn't a strong enough leader as far as throwing her weight around as a as a chancellor, but you know what? Like I said, maybe it was just like a cultural thing. Maybe she gets to USC and she gets to feel like she's now in her second position as a as the head of a university, 
with a little bit more experience under her belt, with a little bit more understanding of how things work, and and maybe she brings the right perspective to USC. I don't know. All I know is that I owe it to her to see to give her the chance to impress me. And if I go into it looking at it going like, well, you know, blah, 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 she she was just there to clean up after UNC and she stood around and let things happen or whatever and she's going to st- stand around and let things happen at USC. Like, that's just such a negative way to come at things. I don't want to live it. I don't want to live that way. I, I want to give people a chance. I want to give them a, a fair ch- a fair shot. And that's definitely what I'm going to be doing with, with Carol Fultz, who seems like a like a likable person like there's a reason that people at unc like her like we're not hearing people trash her in fact the vast majority of what i can see is people coming to her defense because when the initial thing came down there were a lot of people myself included um in private i didn't uh, thankfully i righted myself before i started tweeting anything but who saw unc and thought oh my gosh she was the one that was around during the academic scandal or whatever and there were people tweeting tweeting that straight, like big blue checkmark people. Can you imagine? SC has announced that the replacing Lynn Swan is going to be Paul D. Jr. As, yeah. uh, as athletic director. No, straight up. But that's the first thing I thought when I saw UNC. I was like, no, USC. No, don't do this. Don't do this. And then you look into it and you realize, no, no, no. She's the guy. She's the one who replaced the guy who got ousted because of that scandal. Um, but there were a lot of people on, on Twitter blue checkmark people who were pushing that narrative and you look in the comments to those things and you saw unc people coming to her defense unc people coming to say no you got this wrong and that to me is encouraging that that shows that she was doing something right i think it's a good way of looking at it. we did get a tweet from la fred who says with our new usc president coming in from a blue blood basketball school will she see our basketball team as a wtf situation or does she better equate our football to the big time program and start there who eventually gets fired first helton or enfield a lot of questions from la fred there um yeah, i and i think, I think that first first and foremost as much as we can sit here and say lynn swan probably should go and sc should make a lot of coaching changes not just in in football but in other sports and blah 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 as much as we can sit here and say that all that stuff there's a lot of stuff that the school needs to do first before athletics let's first understand that that doesn't mean that this all can't be done at the same time however uh, she did not make an athletic director hire, by the way, at North Carolina. Um, for what that's worth, I don't know how much to read into it. She has one time that she's been a chancellor of a university. So it's not like we can sit here and say, well, then she'll definitely keep Lin Swan because of that. Like, no, it was just, it's a small sample size. So I don't know that we know anything about how she's going to look at USC's athletics and, and, you know, judge that going forward what i will say is a good sign is north carolina is i would say probably has like a top 10 athletic program in the country this isn't like sc going out and again hiring the chancellor of dominguez hills like there she clearly valued athletics enough at at unc for them to win a national title in basketball well and and i think that's a from an athletics perspective for usc that's a very good sign that she has experience being at a university where athletics matter, where they're not just a side thing that doesn't 
play into the into the the status of the university. And regardless of it being football or basketball or anything like that, UNC is a blue blood in something. They are a blue blood in a revenue sport. And that is a, a decent comparison to make for, for USC from the football side of things where USC should be a blue blood uh, in, in, in the sport of, of football. Does that mean that Helton or Enfield will get fired first? <laughs> I don't, I have no idea. A lot of that depends on what Helton and Enfield do in the next couple of seasons that they have. But I do also want to get out in front of the Lynn Swan thing, just because I've stated publicly that I think Lynn Swan, I think that they need to start fresh in the athletic department and they need to clean house. And that Agreed. includes Lynn Swan. Uh, but even as I say that, just like I said that they should have fired Clay Helton and started clean and and started new and fresh, I could easily make the argument for why Lynn Swan would keep Clay Helton, and ultimately that same argument was the reason that, that it happened. I could sit here easily and tell you all the reasons why Carol Folt is going to keep Lynn Swan in, in place despite the academic, uh, the, the athletics admissions scandal and all that kind of stuff because, right. quite frankly, Lynn Swan has a really some really really good explanations for why stuff happened under hold his on, watch. Hold on, back it up, back it up, beep beep. Well, maybe not really good. I'm just gonna so, say he can gets we, can to we say. Can we talk about the interview with with the Rosh? Oh, okay, yeah. With 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 Lynn Swan. So yeah, he basically says, "Oh well, I was blindsided and, and yeah. whatnot." And not only that, but there's been multiple articles now, um, both at the LA Times and the Athletic. With Eric Siskin, and Eric Siskin has said the, said the same thing. Um, and Alex, no Rios. one knew anything. Donna Heinel had a ton of power and all that stuff. So I can understand if you're Lynn Swan to say, "Well, I didn't hire her. She had all the power, and like everything seemed to get done. So who am I to to go in there and make changes?" I get that. I understand that logic. Not saying I agree, but I I understand how you get to that thought. Right? That's like I get it, but doesn't this go back to this is why if you don't Lin hire Swan somebody. had experience? Yeah, then he would have maybe known, if nothing else, maybe inquire how do you do things because here's how the person who previously under me did things. Let's see how we can compare. Let's see how I can at least understand what you're doing uh, versus how you know I know how this worked before and whatnot. Lin Swan coming in and say, well, I just, you know, let everything be run the way it was before is not an excuse to be ignorant. No, absolutely. Well, that's why I, I, I said straight up, they need to just clean house because Lin Swan didn't have the qualifications to be USC's athletic director from the get go. So I, I, I would feel bad for him in the sense of he might have gotten a raw deal compared to what he, what he, you know, the time that maybe he would have been afforded in an, in another situation. But the fact of the matter is that he does get to sit there and plead ignorance to a point. He does get to sit there and say, you know, this wasn't totally my fault. And while I think that's a lame excuse, if you're Carol Folds and you've got thousands of other things to deal with in the university, you might be willing to sit back and go, you know what? Lin Swan isn't the problem here. All of this other stuff is like that's I just I just think that USC fans need to prepare themselves for this because that's the way I'm coming at it. I'm preparing myself for this inevitability. Hopeful that USC makes the right decision and cleans house and installs somebody with a, with with the proper experience in that position. But also, let's be realistic here, guys. Carol Fultz doesn't have to 
fire Lin Swan if she doesn't feel like it's worth the trouble. Which am I not? Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. <laughs> I'm just saying. I can make an argument. I can make okay, the argument Dan. for Lin Swan. I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I know what you're saying. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to understand it, but you can at least understand. Well, you don't, that have, there's to, logic you don't have to behind agree with it. it. You don't have to agree right, with but, it, but you should right. at least understand where they'd be coming from if they the, they make yeah. the decision. And by the way, when we say logic, we're mostly meaning what people are thinking. We're not saying what, that what these people are, t- are their thought process, what they're yes, telling themselves, why why process. people do the things that they not do. Not that it's logical to you or I. No, yeah. So, yeah. anyways, we got a bunch of questions to get to those up next. You've got mail. All right, Lizzie, let's start with an email we got from Eddie, who says, Greetings, Alicia and Michael. I haven't seen much mention of the offensive line, the group that was perhaps the most disappointing last year. Can we blame this on Neil Calloway? Probably. Uh, How much does it look this year? How much better does it look this year? How does its role in the new offense this year compare to the Team Martin offense? Hacienda Heights, Eddie. Well, I got I got into this a little bit earlier uh, as far as it's hard to say because of the zero sum game. Uh, but I will say that it's been encouraging in the sense that there has been a solid five. I think USC's first team offensive line, which is very firmly, I'll say right now, uh, Austin Jackson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Brett Nealon, Andrew Voorhees and Jalen McKenzie. Um, that first team offensive line, I think looks pretty solid. I like that they're getting the opportunity to build some chemistry together. And uh, I don't think there's any massive weak links in that group. Uh, Also this, the way that the offense is set up, they're not putting too much pressure on them in terms of like the ball is getting out very quickly. Um, it's hard to see what wouldn't, wouldn't be a sack in real life because they don't let you actually get near the quarterback. Uh, but it, it looks like things are ticking over quickly enough that the offensive line isn't you know, going to be at the center of everything as far as whether or not USC's passing offense is going to work. The one thing I say, I'll say where I have some major concerns is that when you drop down in practice from the first team to the second team, there's a noticeable drop off. Noticeable. Uh, so I don't think the depth is particularly quality. A part of that is because they have a lot of guys in there who are like Liam Jimmins is converting to tackle from the, the defensive side of the ball. Um, Liam Douglas is converting to guard and he's still a young raw prospect. Uh, you're, you're dealing with, with guys who are, are still sort of finding their feet in the program. So maybe that explains it, but the first team offensive line, I think I'm I'm fairly solid on the second team concerning me a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah. SC needs to get more out out of the depth there. It's just a matter of developing it. We're going to see what, Tim Draveno is able to do from spring to fall and even now into spring to the end of spring, right? Like these next three weeks, I think are going to be pretty big for the offensive line. And then what they do in the fall um, with SC, not only needing to cement that starting five, but then have those depth guys behind them. Uh, Cause you got to be ready at some point for someone to roll an ankle, someone to you know have a bad snap. Well, that would cause someone to leave the game, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You got to be ready for everything. Let's go to an email from John who says, Hi, Alicia and Michael. While I emerged from my self-imposed USC free bunker this week and expected to learn the names of the new USC presidents 
and new head football coach after last year's unprecedented 5-7 and seven end-of-the-world embarrassing debacle of a season. Boy, I got a big surprise when I did a Google News search on USC. OMG. FBI? Bribery charges and arrests? Firings? TMZ? Hiring Cliff Kingsbury? Transfer portal? Expelled kicker lawsuits? What the hell? Okay, in reality, I've been following the telenovela dramedy slash comedy known as USC, my alma mater, and I've been pleasantly surprised by the changes I've heard so far this spring. Incompetent or first-time assistants replaced by individuals that appear to know what they're doing. Wow, what a concept. So since you've been at spring practices and have seen the differences between this year and last, I'd like to propose the following simple thought exercise for the two of you. If you could take the USC team and coaching staff that is currently going through spring practice and transport them back in time in a time machine to last August, how do you think that each and every game played in the 2018 season would turn out, starting with UNLV and ending with Alicia's alma mater, Notre Dame? John's words, by the way. (laughs) Game by game, please. Fight on John in Oakland. So we'll start out with UNLV. Uh, It's a win. It has to be. SC won the game handily in the fourth quarter. Um, It wasn't handily overall. That game was super close, but I don't see why they would regress to lose that game. Um, At Stanford, I I think it's an interesting one because I don't think we know anything about that game anymore. Well, okay, if we're putting... Because, like, what is Stanford? I have no idea what Stanford is. Well, I still don't know what Stanford is, but I do know this. Stanford wasn't that good last year. Like, Stanford wasn't bad, but they weren't that good. And part of me wonders, a USC with an offense that's actually... that actually knows what it's doing and knows what it wants to be and knows what its strengths are... Is that enough to overcome Stanford? It might be. Like, USC's offense was just mind-numbingly stupid in that game. So, maybe? I mean, that game was closer than it should have been, <laughs> given what USC was, was putting out there. Uh, yeah, I'm. That, that might be a little bit of a toss-up. I might be inclined to go win. Yeah, I, I, I guess... Um... I guess it's, I would agree with you. The, I have not been to any of the spring practices, first and foremost. Let's get that out there. My thought process is I'm going to go through here and just flip the wins where SC struggled and should have probably won the game anyways, because that's what I think that should have probably happened anyways, right? Like the Cal game, which we'll get to. SC should have won that game. So I'll say that's a win. Right. But I don't. I'm not going to be able to sit here and say that they should have won at Stanford or at Texas, even though we can make the case of, well, if this thing happened and, you know, maybe now that blah, 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 I'm not comfortable with still saying that SC wins either one of those games. Well, I think I I just think that Stanford, the Stanford game was a a reflection of because USC's defense played really well against Stanford and it really was an offensive issue. And it and it really came back to, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you having JT Daniels try to carry this team in his second game in college? Like, that's just dumb. So I'm going to give Graham Harrell maybe too much benefit of the doubt. But I'm just going to say that I think he might have understood more of what, what his offense was. I won't flip the Texas result, though. 
going into Austin, going into Dar- Daryl K. Royal and beating the, that Texas team that turned out to be pretty formidable, um, especially when things went wrong the way that they did for USC in that game, which wasn't necessarily schematic or anything like that. It's just stuff happens. Like, I'm not going to flip that result because that result very easily could have happened again, regardless of the offense knowing more about itself or anything like that. But Stanford, I just felt like that was such a failure of the coaching staff. I, w- I would tend to agree with you there. I-, I agree with what you're saying, at least. Uh, Washington State, I think coin flip, and that's not because well, that of SC, I think that's because of Washington too. State. I think Washington yeah. State probably um, could have felt hard done in that game. Surely they did. Um, we'll just say it stays the same. Um, Arizona stays the same. same. SC wins. You would think SC wins a little bit more comfortably. They'd be able to put the game away if they score another touchdown. If SC goes up 27, nothing in that game, I think it's over. Right. Like I don't think that Arizona comes back the way that they did. Um, Colorado kind of the same thing. Um, the, the main point about me mentioning Stanford and Texas is I think you can sit here and talk yourself into USC being six and oh, and, I could understand how you would do that. I could also sit here and say that that's utterly insane. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Like I, I th- realistically, they're four and two, right? Which is what they were. They were four and two. Uh, and that's where I, I more firmly go five and one. With the lone loss to Stanford. Yeah. With the lone loss to Texas. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Texas. So, yeah, they're they're five and one or four and two. I think that's safe. Now we go at Utah, definite loss for sure. Well, that um, that was such a, the Utah game was such a just a a domination by the Utes that you have to just credit them for how they came out and fought in that game. So right, yeah. yep. Um, ASU, I would argue, is a win. I think it should have been a win that day. Yes, 1,000%, yes. I, I think a little bit more competency um, definitely should have been a win. I will say at the other the other side of it is I thought SC looked competent in that game because I thought they had a game plan that suited them more correctly with Jack Sears because they recognized the problems that Jack Sears was going to have as someone on his debut, so they made it a little bit easier for him compared to what they did with JT Daniels. I don't necessarily think that Jack Sears is for sure better than JT Daniels or anything like that. I think that he was put in a position to succeed in a smarter way than JT Daniels. So, but that's my my argument for the ASU game is they looked good for about a quarter and a half in the middle of fair. that game. That's fair. And the rest of that game was the same old problems that USC had. So but you, they you extend good for that out. a quarter and a half, right? But if you extend if, that out to, if you do a half of good football, you probably win that game. If you make it two good quarters, yes. yes, SC should win that game. Yes, SC wins the game if they, if Tyler Vaughn's hold on to the ball, and or if they don't give up a ninety-two yard punt return to, um, Nikhil Harry. Yeah, very simple. That's neither one of those things should have happened, and they did. Um, ASU won that game. So, if we walk through there, we're you're saying that SC is six and two, right? Mm-hmm. With losses to Utah and Texas. Um, Oregon State, we could say, is a win. Mm-hmm. Cal is Cal, a win. Cal's definitely a win. You go to UCLA. Um, again, I would argue that SC should have won that game, period. I guess you can make the case that we know now that SC lost a lot on defense. 
Um, but the defense is the biggest question mark. We know that the offense is going to get better. Is the defense going to get better? I don't know. So as much as I want to say SC wins that game just because their offense maybe puts together one more scoring drive and that puts the game away some way, I still kind of question their ability to stop Joshua Kelly. Well, it, because the reason USC lost the game to UCLA, if we put the offense to a side for a second, the reason USC lost to UCLA is because Clancy Pendergast was out of his mind and insisted on playing Ruben Peters instead of Pali and Aoteote. I don't know that the time machine that changes this coaching staff and puts them back into, you know, into this situation, I don't think it's different enough. Clancy Pendergast is still the one making that decision to put in his senior former walk-on at linebacker instead of the true freshman linebacker phenom. So, yeah, I think USC... I'm not willing to change... I'm very quick to change the results of Cal and ASU. I'm less quick to change the result of UCLA because I think the root problem is not necessarily gone. Yeah, and here's where I here's where I think the biggest argument comes in. If we're giving SC the benefit of the doubt to make up 14 points at Stanford, I don't think it's fair to, to assume that they also do that at UCLA. I think it's more likely that they win one of those two, not both. Yes, that's fair. So SC is 9-3 going into... Sorry... Nine and sorry, uh, eight and three going into Notre Dame, which is still a loss. Eight and four, which I think is fair. No, eight and four, I, but but they're an, they're an eight and four in which there'd be reasons to feel good about them. Um, well, it's not an embarrassing an eight, eight and four. I think they're an eight and four where you play Notre Dame super competitively at the end of the year with a chance to beat Notre yeah, Dame. Yeah, I think you, I think I think you are just as you are just as if not more competitive against Notre Dame because your offense is probably a little bit, little bit more reliable. For four mm, quarters. I think it's important to to look at the Notre Dame game as a two touchdown loss. Yeah. Um. I know SC lost by seven points, but they also scored in garbage time in the final. Right. Game. Right. That's my thing is I don't know that there's garbage time in this scenario. I think USC still loses. Fair. But SC I'd... makes up that touchdown earlier in the game. Right. There you go. But the defense was still. I think the defense was still going to have a really hard time stopping. And Ian they Book. got really gassed in the second half. Yeah, I mean, just expecting USC to win that game with the defense they put out there, valiant as they were, is just it's not really fair. So yeah, that's now, still a loss, but, but it's probably a pretty competitive loss. But in this scenario we, that we've drawn up, SC is seven and two in the Pac-12. Does that put them in the title game? Yep, because Utah was six and three. So th- there you go. Now th- I think these are best case scenario changes, though that we're talking. Like, so the difference for USC is you have to beat Stanford. So, so here's the thing, though. We we say it's best case scenario, but really, what changed? What changed was they didn't. They wouldn't have given up. Uh, they wouldn't have had a game decided by a 92 yard punt return. Yeah. They probably would not have had a game decided by a snap over the quarterback's head. Yeah. Like, those were two incredibly fluky things. Right, but and those then, things can still happen, and USC can overcome them is really still what happen, we're talking yes. about. I think right, it's, it's that USC would have been more equipped to overcome those fluky things, which every team deals with fluky things. Like, yes, that but, happens. But again, 2018, A, I think it was SC was better served by having those games end up as losses, because I think it forced more change Yes, than if they were 7-5. and five. If they... Squeak by ASU and they beat Cal by a field goal or whatever the hell it is. I think you can sit there and not make any changes at seven and five. 
Yeah. At five and seven, you've got to make wholesale changes. Not to mention, again, you compare it to 2017. Staff. SC was very fortunate to win a lot of games in 2017. It's... One year you're going to be lucky, another year you're not going to be. And I think that's okay to understand that, that like, it balances out a little bit. SC could have been a very frustrating team, which they were, and also unlucky at the same time. Yeah. No argument there. Not, not mutually exclusive ideas. Yeah. Um, anyways, let's go to an email from Scourge77. Scourge, Scourge, we never get it right. It's, I never get it right. It's Scourge. Okay, Scourge. Scourge77. Hey, Michael and Alicia. With this past season and offseason being from hell, there's absolutely no way Lynn, lack of institutional control, Swan, survives if a new president were to come in. I mean, they absolutely have to come in and take the scorched earth approach. Fire everyone and everyone working in and around the athletic department. With that out of the way, on to my main point. I recently found this upcoming season predictor chart posted on Reddit, and I was hoping you guys would talk about it, even though it doesn't have an optimistic look for the Trojans this coming season. As I browse the college football subreddit daily, I'm sorry to break it to you, Alicia, but with all the negative news coming out of USC, the program slash school is the official laughing stock of the college football world right now, or for this offseason at least. Sorry to end this email on such a negative note, but I'm sure you guys will call things rightly as they are bad. Thanks for all your work and everything that you guys do. Keep up the great work and fight on, fight out, Scourge. Fight out. It still makes me, still makes me smile. <laughs> Thank you for the email, Scourge. Um, I think, I think that he is, he or she is absolutely right about the laughing stock nature of USC. And I think that's the biggest, if you want to make the biggest argument for why USC really should do the scourged, scor- scourged earth, scorched earth approach. I thought that too. I, I nearly said scourged earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, that approach is that USC is a laughing stock. USC is a, the butt of jokes on John Oliver, on the daily show, on Twitter, everywhere like that. USC is the butt of jokes. And the only way you get away from that is just by cleaning house and changing the voices that are that are standing there, you know, speaking for your university. Even though we just had that discussion, why I'm not convinced that Lin Swan will be will be ousted with Carol Folt coming in. Um, even th- even though I think that is the right thing to do, I'm not convinced that it will ha- absolutely happen. Um, Scourge included in this email a uh, a link to a Reddit post about uh, win expectations and its sort of predictions for the season. Uh, this is where they're talking about, you know, how it's not good looking forward to the season either. Um, somebody basically took S&P Plus numbers and then figured out what the win probabilities will be before Bill Connolly actually posts the win probabilities. And it's not not good, Michael. Not not super good, as Scourge explains. Yeah, so the, the chart is going to be hard to explain verbally. Um, what it essentially does is it talks about USC's win probability or win total probability by week. So, for example, at the end of week one, it says that SC has a 67.5% chance of having one win, which would mean that they beat Fresno State versus having zero wins at 32.5%, and which would be a loss, right? So, you can look at it that way, and, you know, these things are color-coordinated. We can maybe put the link in the in the podcast description, too, so you guys can look at it. But it's interesting to see because you jump to the end of the season 
And the brightest green is 23.4% of a chance that SC has six wins to end the season at six and six. I think that that's fair. I think that it's fair to assume that SC's most likely input is a moderate gain forward. When you consider how much harder the schedule is going to be than last year's. I disagree um, in the sense that I think that there is reason for USC to take more than a one game step forward. Oh, I I agree. But I'm saying like I can understand why the numbers would say that one win is the most likely. I, I think six and six is possible. But I also think that when you take into account like the numbers the numbers from last season were so bad that they're going to skew badly for USC in projections this year but at the same time USC is going to go into the season with a better situation at quarterback the numbers can't account for the fact that USC is changing its offensive system the numbers can't account for the fact that USC hopefully knock on wood won't have the massive injury crisis that contributed to part of the way that they finished the season um you know, I I think there's a lot of things that the numbers can't account for that are contributing to this idea that USC's most probable output in this in in 2019 is six and six. I don't think six and six is the mo- and, and in fact, looking at the thing, I think it says the most probable outcome is that USC, yeah, is six and six. I just I think the the likelihood of USC being seven and seven and five is significantly higher in my mind than going would- six and six. I I would agree, but we're talking twenty three point four percent versus twenty one point five percent. I'm like, it's those two are the most likely. Like yes. they're right there. They're, yeah. they're literally right there. Um, I think the interesting thing is with this chart is that when you look at USC schedule, we've talked about it before. The first six games are daunting as all hell. The last six games a little bit more manageable. Here's what I want to say, though. Here's what I want. And I think I've brought this up a couple of times. Dan Weber on USCFootball.com wrote an article talking about those first six games. The first six games are daunting in a way that I think is 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 laying them out in a very pessimistic kind of sense. And I think Dan Weber did a good job of looking at them and, and saying, like, it looks daunting, but it shouldn't be as daunting as we're making it out to be. Like that's that's fair, but I, what I'm saying is there in those six games, there's not a single game on there that's an that easy on the surface that would be utterly embarrassing to lose. Yeah, would it be utterly embarrassing for USC to lose all six? One hundred percent. Well, obviously, the Fre- Fresno State's by far sure. the easiest the easiest game there, and Fresno State is the right. Mountain West champion. Yeah, Fresno State and, is not what, you know, Idaho was a few years ago. Yeah. They're not what, you know, Arkansas State was. And Arkansas State was still pretty good, but Fresno State's a little bit better than that. So th- that's mostly what I'm talking about. The way I'm looking at this, I think your goal for USC right now, your goal, go 4-2 and two in the first half, 5-1 and one in the second half, and 9-3. and three. I think realistically, you drop... Um, that down a game on each side, and I say realistically, what I would expect USC to do is go three and three on the first half, four and two in the back half, and if they do better than that, depending on how the season plays out, we can have a different outlook. But I think that that's the baseline for what SC should be: three and three and four and two, which equals seven and five, 
I think that's the baseline. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly reasonable baseline. I think that's the st- statistical baseline that we're looking at with these numbers. Um, I think I, the 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 hard part here is, and this is where again I, I keep going back to. Maybe I'm expecting too much, but I'm also still I also still have that thing in the back of my head that's the Notre Dame standard. And if I'm going to hold USC to the Notre Dame standard, when you look across this this schedule that USC has. I only see one team that has more talent than USC, and that's arguable, arguably more talent than USC. Yeah, um, I would I would say the three teams that have arguably just as much talent as USC are back to back to back: Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame. And the reason I mentioned Utah, I wouldn't put Utah in there. No offense to Utah because I think they no, do no, a lot. Hold on, hold less. on. I'm talking about Utah's talent in terms of position. In terms of they are bring their talent at their key positions, it like it's not overall talent. SC obviously has more overall talent than Utah, but Utah is bringing back their quarterback. Which again, it's lazy to just look at the quarterback. They're bringing back um, their key running back. Like they're bringing back a lot of key players. They are missing three guys in the offensive line. They are missing Chase Hansen on defense. Like there's reasons to be skeptical of Utah and whatnot. But I'm talking about that they have major players coming back. SC surely has guys that are at least just as talented, if not more talented. They just haven't proven it yet. That's mostly what I mean. Yeah. I don't literally mean more talented. But the way I, the way I look at it is, you mentioned the Notre Dame standard again. If your if your goal, and obviously your goal is to go 12 and 0, but I'm saying if your your realistic goal is to go four and two in the first half, five and one in the back half. That's nine and three. That's what Notre Dame did after going four and eight. Yeah. And if you do that, take it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you gave me four and two right now, four and two Through on that franchise, I, I, I bite your hand off for that. 100%. Yeah. Because in theory, what you're doing there is winning your first four games, which are critical to winning the Pac 12, I mean, to getting the Pac 12 South. Because you can lose to Washington and Notre Dame, and it's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. You are in control of the Pac-12 South so long as you beat Utah, and you don't lose to Stanford. I guess if you know if you get what I'm saying there. Best case scenario, by the way, you go four and two with those losses at BYU and Notre Dame, and you're still that's, that's your best case scenario. Yeah. Yes. Because you are then fully in. Not that you want to lose to BYU by any stretch of the sure, imagination. Sure, but I'm but, saying if it's four and two and you get to pick who you lose to. Oh yeah, you definitely pick those. Yes, right. But my, I guess my point is this: um, when you look at when you look at the numbers, like the probabilities aren't good. We a few weeks back we did the beta rank probabilities and they were much more generous to USC. But I'm just going to go through these really quick. Fresno State, sixty-seven point five percent. Stanford, fifty-seven point five percent. BYU 45.7%. That I don't see that one. Utah 44.9%, Washington 28%, Notre Dame 26%, Arizona 67%, Colorado 64%, Oregon 48%, ASU 55%, Cal 44%, UCLA 72%. There's a it's weird to me that UCLA is the is the highest win probability for USC during the season, higher than Fresno State. It's weird and it's not at the same time. Well, cuz they were so bad numeric like statistically. Right. But I also, I do want to have some apprehension about assuming that this is six tough games and six easy ones. Because... Well, even, I, the, I, even the easy ones aren't... Those are not overwhelming well, the, percentages. The, well, not only that, but I, I think we've talked about it before. Um, 2016 was a prime example. I remember 
in the offseason, we got a question from our buddy Jake, Jake Merrifield from the West Bruin Show and Takes with Jake. And he asked us, is the 2016 schedule an inverted cheeseburger? Remember this? Yes. And so that uh, September, we all knew September was going to be daunting in 2016. But we assumed that that November was going to be just as bad, if not worse. And that, you know, October was going to be easy. And this is a big reason why when SC was winning a bunch of games before the, the Washington game, no one bought into SC because, well, you assume that October is going to be easy anyways. So, what, but what happened in 2016? Oregon ended up going 4-8. and or three and nine, whatever the no, hell they were. Notre Dame went four and eight. Notre Dame went four and eight. UCLA went four and eight. And Colorado like, turned of, out to be good that year, and they were the the cupcake and they October were in game. October, yes. So like nothing you expected turned out. And so when you look at the last six games that SC has, you get Khalil Tate. Khalil Tate is either going to be a Heisman finalist or he's going to be not good. It's one or the other. I have a hard time to believe he's in the middle. Um, Colorado is either going to be really good or really bad. Again, I think the same thing. Oregon. I don't know what to think about Oregon. Oregon could be a top five team if Herbert gets everything going and, and you know, and they build on what, what they had going last year that they just weren't able to finish. Or they could not be very good. They could, And last year's problems could be more systemic and they're going to have to still prove things under Cristobal. ASU impressed me last year. Um, but there's also a part of me that thinks that ASU impressed me because nobody gave them the benefit of the doubt for bringing back the talent that they had in terms of having Nikhil Harry and Eno you know, Benjamin. And those guys were super, super, super good. And Benjamin's back, but Nikhil Harry's gone. Well, I think people assume that Herm Edwards would flame out. And when he didn't, it suddenly right. looked like he did such a great job when really he just had them write it. We talked about it, like Todd Graham firing him was a questionable if- decision. If you didn't know that Herman Edwards was the coach, I think ASU performed up to expectations last yeah, year. Yeah, With the Herman Edwards thing, I think everyone recalibrated things and overreacted to that, us included. Yes, for sure. But I think that this year, I still don't know. I, I think that the, I think being skeptical of Herman Edwards is still the right opinion. Um, so I think there's still reasons to be skeptical of them going forward. But again, they proved doubters wrong in year one, whether or not you believe that the expectations were different, whatever. Cal, I think Cal is moving in the right direction. UCLA, you can make the argument, is moving in the right direction. So those last six games, I think, are going to be so much different at the end of the year than they are now with expectations. Um, it's it's a lot like recruits that I mention this all the time, that when you have a bunch of recruits at a specific uh, position, one or two of them is going to be better than you thought, one or two of them is going to be worse the other one's going to battle with injuries or whatever. That's kind of what you're going to see out of those last six games. Yeah. One or two of those teams that you don't think is as good as Washington or Notre Dame is probably going to be better than Washington or Notre Dame. And one of those is going to be way worse than you expected. Yeah, I totally agree. And the the, the hard part is I don't have any idea who those who teams is. are going to be. Like I could sit here right. and say like, I think Cal- Oregon it was probably the safest bet, but again, that's just because of Herbert, and that's lazy to just go pick the guy they're, with the NFL caliber quarterback. They're not a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. They're no, probably going to be pretty good, but I think we're banking a little bit. Just like Cal, like I think we assume that Justin Wilcox has that team going in the right direction, but it could just as easily be a he's got them as far as he's going to take them and their offense is still not going to be good enough to really contend in a real way. Like we don't actually know what 
Cal or ASU is or Colorado what they're going to look like. And UCLA is who the hell knows? They could go three and three and nine again, and it wouldn't shock me that much. Yeah, or they can be a nine and three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they could be. They I don't could know be what eleven and one for all I know. Like that's totally within the realm of possibility. Yeah. So, anyways, I, I think the the prevailing thought here is that if USC, I think the expectations to judge them on, uh, if you're talking about the Notre Dame plan, is nine and three. Get to nine and three, and things, and you know, give them the benefit of the doubt that at that point, uh, eight and four is well. How did the eight and four happen? Seven and five is six and six is definite. No, no bad USC. No (laughs) five and seven is absolute hell. Right, and so how do you get to the how do you get to the nine and three four and two in the first half five and one in the second half? But again, that's just saying now things could change. So yeah, that's gonna wrap up this episode though. Uh, thanks for listening as always uh, we will get to more questions and we're going to save for the after dark portion we got questions from Dave in Orange County we got questions from Darlene we got more questions from Scourge we're going to get to all of those in the after dark if you're not subscribed do subscribe to us on Patreon patreon.com slash reign of Troy is the phone number as always you can reach us via email Troy at fansided.com. Go there for any questions you may have, advertising inquiries, or what have you, or you just want to get in touch with us and say what's up. You can do that too. Troy at fansided.com is the phone number. Uh, is the email address. The phone number, 213-373-1872. We're on Twitter at Troy and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Troy. Yeah, Alicia, give us the final word. The final word is phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I said it weird. I you, know you did it twice. <laughs> did I? You did. Yeah, the patreoncom Troy is the phone number. T- <laughs> oh boy. Oh, please don't cut this. Uh, oh dear. All right. It's late. For, for, yeah. In in Michael's mo- defense, it's late. We're, we're we're moving over to After Dark. It, it'll it'll be a little bit easier on After Dark. We'll talk to you there. See ya. See ya. See ya. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.